Hello and welcome. I'm Laura Friedman, president of the Foundation for Middle East Peace, and I'm honored to be here with my friend and colleague, Nadia Saa, founder and executive director of Project 48. We're here to share a very special collection of voices we've produced to mark 75 years since the onset of the Palestinian Nakba, an Arabic word that means catastrophe, which began in 1948. I say began because the Nakba started in 1948, with the mass loss of Palestinian lives, lands, and homes, and the creation of a Palestinian refugee diaspora in the region and today around the world. But it didn't end in 1948. Rather, Nakba is a process of erasure and dispossession and the systematic denial of rights, dignity, and humanity of Palestinians that continues through the present day. This ongoing Nakba has for 75 years impacted the daily lives of Palestinians across all parts of historic Palestine and throughout the diaspora. Thank you, Lara. I'm happy to be here with you. FMEP has been a great partner in the critical work of centering Palestinian voices in the narration of our history and our ongoing struggle for freedom in our homeland. This special collection of powerful readings comes from Palestinian poets, authors, directors, actors, and musicians, all of whom, along with Palestinians and allies around the world, will commemorate 75 years of the Nakba on May 15th. What you are about to hear are stories and reflections that bring to life the richness of Palestinian culture, that convey the magnitude of what has been taken from Palestinians, and that offer a window into the lives of Palestinians in Palestine and around the world, indelibly marked by the memory and ongoing experience of the Nakba. My organization, Project 48, is dedicated to educating the public about the Nakba through curriculum, testimonies, visuals, and awareness campaigns. Project48.com is a resource available to anyone who wants to learn more about the Nakba and its impact on Palestinian lives. Today, we honor our ancestors, the Palestinians we lost to the Nakba, the Palestinians who, like my parents, lived in exile, longing to return home their entire lives. We honor our survivors and the Palestinians practicing Herculean perseverance every day to remain in their homes and on their land. Please visit our websites, www.fmep.org and www.project48.org to access the works of each of our artists. You can read more of their poetry, purchase their books and music, and watch their films and TV shows. You can also find their biographies, as well as more information about the Nakba. There are many events and programs happening around May 15th, the day each year that we commemorate the Nakba. Please take the time to find these events and show your support. We are incredibly honored to bring you the powerful voices of Suad Al-Amri, Ahmed Abu Artema, Hala Alian, Zaina Azam, Shireen Davis, Fadi Juda, Tamar Nafar, Reja Shahada, Naomi Shahab Nye, and Walid Zuater, reading their own work and that of other iconic Palestinian artists. Listening to Palestinians share their stories and their artistry is a critical, transformative practice. With that in mind, we are grateful to all of the Palestinian writers, poets, activists, and intellectuals who have contributed their voices to this event, and we thank you for tuning in. My name is Walid Zaytar, and uh, I'm from Nablus, Palestine. My father's family and the Zawaiter family comes from uh, Nablus. My mother's family comes from Haifa. Uh, my mom's maiden name is Nohad Akkawi. Both my parents fled during the 1948 Nakba. I'll be reading a poem by Mahmoud Darwish, considered Palestine's national poet. 
Darwish was born in 1941 in the village of Al-Birwa in the Western Galilee. His family was forced to flee their home during the Nakba and fled to Beirut. His village was destroyed by Israeli forces to prevent the return of Palestinians, a return that is denied to this day. I Come From There by Mahmoud Darwish. I come from there and I have memories. Born as mortals are, I have a mother and a house with many windows. I have brothers, friends, and a prison cell with a cold window. Mine is the wave snatched by seagulls. I have my own view and an extra blade of grass. Mine is the moon at the far edge of the words and the bounty of birds and the immortal olive tree. I walked this land before the swords turned its living body into a laden table. I come from there. I render the sky unto her mother when the sky weeps for her mother, and I weep to make myself known to a returning cloud. I learnt all the words worthy of the court of blood so that I could break the rule. I learnt all the words and broke them up to make a single word, homeland. Hello, marhaba, ahlan wasahlan. I'm honored to be asked to read a poem connecting to the Nakba. My father, Aziz Shihab, lived through the 1948 seizure of homes. He lost his own home with his family in the city of Al-Quds, Jerusalem and uh, they became refugees. They lost everything they had. They moved to a small village in the West Bank where my grandmother would live to be 106 years old. After my father died, I was unable to open his own notebooks for about two years. But when I did, I found sentences floating in the centers of pages, sort of the ways poets keep notebooks where they have a lot of drifting sentences. So I wrote a series of poems for a book called Transfer that have titles from his notebooks. These are quotes direct. And the surprise for me was when I wrote the poems, they were written in his voice as I imagined it. His name was Aziz Shahab. His last book was called Does the Land Remember Me? A Memoir of Palestine from Syracuse University Press. But this is the poem called, Everything in Our World Did Not Seem to Fit. Once they started invading us, taking our houses and trees, drawing lines, pushing us into tiny places. It wasn't a bargain or deal or even a real war. To this day, they pretend it was, but it was something else. We were sorry what happened to them, but we had nothing to do with it. You don't think what a little plot of land means till someone takes it and you can't go back. Your feet still want to walk there. Now you are drifting worse than homeless dust, very lost feeling. I cried even to think of our hallway, cool stone passage 
inside the door. Nothing would fit for years. They came with guns, uniforms, declarations. Life magazine said, it was surprising to find some Arabs still in their houses. Surprising? Where else would we be? Up on the hillside, conversing with mint and sheep, digging in dirt? Why was someone else's need for a home greater than our own need for our own homes we were already living in? No one has ever been able to explain this sufficiently, but they find a lot of other things to talk about. My name is Fadi Judah, and I will be reading two poems. Remove. You who remove me from my house are blind to your past, which never leaves you. Yet you're no mole to smell and sense what's being done to me now by you. Now, dilatory, attritional, so that the past is climate change and not a massacre, so that the present never ends. But I'm closer to you than you are to yourself, and this, my enemy friend, is the definition of distance. Oh, don't be indignant. Watch the video. I'll send you the link in which you cleanse me item after limb thrown into the street to march where my catastrophe in the present is still not the size of your past. Is this the wall you throw your dice against? I'm speaking etymologically. I'm okay with the scales tipping your way. I'm not into that. I have a heart that rots, resists, and hopes, and I have genes like yours that don't subscribe to the damage pyramid. You who remove me from my house have also evicted my parents and their parents from theirs. How is the view from my window? How does my salt taste? Shall I condemn myself a little for you to forgive yourself in my body? Oh, how you love my body, my body, my house. Gemini. After yoga, I took my car to the shop. Coils, spark plugs, computer chips, and a two-mile walk home are fossilized public transportation, elementary school recess hour, kids whirling joy, the all-familiar neighborhood. And then another newly demolished house. How long since I've been out walking? A message appeared on my phone. An American literary magazine calling for a special issue on Jerusalem, deadline approaching, art and the ashes of light. At the construction site, the live oak that appeared my age when I became a father was now being dismembered. The machinery and its men, almost always men, 
poor or cheap labor colored with American dreams. The permit to snuff the tree was legally obtained. The new house is likely destined for a nice couple with children. Their children won't know there was a tree. I paused to watch the live oak brutalized limb by limb until its trunk stood hanged and the wind couldn't bear the place. Who loves the smell of fresh sap in the morning, the waft of SOS the tree's been sending to other trees? How many feathers will relocate since nearby can absorb the birds? Farewell for days on end. They were digging a hole around the tree's base to uproot and chop it, then repurpose its life. Hello, my name is Hala Alian, and my maternal grandfather was born in Akka, and my paternal grandparents were from an eradicated 48 village called Irak Swedan. I currently live in Brooklyn. This is called The Interviewer Wants to Know About Fashion. Think of all the calla lilies. Think of all the words that rhyme with calla. Isn't it a miracle that they come back? The flowers, the dead. I watch a woman bury her child. How? Whenever I lose a fetus, I can't eat breakfast for a week. I watch a woman and the watching is a crime, so I return my eyes. The sea foams like a dog and what's 5,000 miles between friends. If you listen close enough, you can hear the earth crack like a neck. Be lucky. Try to make it to the morning. Try to find your heart in the newsprint, please. I'd rather be alive than holy. I don't have time to write about the soul. There are bodies to count. There's a man wearing his tuxedo to sleep in case I meet God, and there's a brick of light before each bombing. I dream I am a snake after all. I dream I do Jerusalem all over again, only this time I don't shake my hair down when the soldier tells me to. I don't thank them for my passport. Later, my grandfather said they couldn't have kept it. You know that, don't you? I don't know what they couldn't do. I only know that enormous light, only that roar of nothing, as certain and incorrect as a sermon. Next, you will hear Suad Al-Amari read a poem from her book, Golda Slept Here. Suad is an architect and writer and the author of such favorites as Sharon and My Mother-in-Law and the newly released Mother of Strangers. Would you ever let go of me? Would you ever let go of me for a lifetime, for a year, a month, an hour, a minute, even a second? No. If ever, if ever we get an apology, if ever we get compensation for our, our losses, it will not be about a lost country and it will not be about a lost field or an orange grove or a lost home. No. It would not be about the hundreds of bulldozed villages or the scattering of a whole nation, the shattering of a whole society. It will not be about 
losing a livelihood, a stolen piano, a Persian carpet, or a first baby photo album. And it will not be about someone's personal library, an abandoned Arab horse or a Cypriot donkey, nor a Persian cat, nor even Sasha, the monkey that my mother gave me a few days before the war. No. And it will not be about the blossoming almond trees and the red flowering of pomegranates that were not picked tenderly in the spring of 1948, nor the following summer. And it will not be about firing at the farmers who returned to harvest the fields they had left behind, nor would it be about the many deserted budding roses or a bride's wardrobe and her many cherished wedding gifts or a child or an old woman who were forgotten, left behind in the chaos. No, it will not be about concealing a crime or falsifying history It would not be about blaming the victim, and it would not be about dehumanization and stereotyping. It will not be about making new wandering Jews out of us. It would not be about reversing roles and images, no. If at all, it will only be about an obsession. Yes, an obsession. My dreams are all about you. And my nightmares are all because of you. My happiness is related to you. And my sadness comes from you. My expectations are all concerning you. And my disappointments pile up beside you. Yes. And if I run away, I run away from you. And if I come back, I come back to you. If I love someone, it is because of what they think of you. And if I hate someone, it is because of what they say about you. Yes. And it is because of you. Nothing in my life is normal. Nothing in my life is neutral. Nothing is mundane or even insignificant. And how very exhausting it is. How I desire one day when you do not haunt me. How I long for a pleasant evening when you are not invited. How I yearn to forget you. How I wish for an amnesia, a stroke that will really remove every trace of you. Thoughts, memories, emotions, gone forever. I heard them mourn for you before I was born. I heard them mourn for you after I was born and ever since. Their bedtime stories are all about you, and their daydreaming is all about you. I've seen them cry, laugh, raise, and curse, you, you, and only you. I had to learn everything about you. I had to imagine you from across a border, miss you, love you, defend you, cry for you, write about you, talk about you, and in imperative form, love you, and how very exhausting it is. Above all, I have to keep my sanity with all the brutality around you, every hour, every minute, and every second, if I ever do come to terms with what has happened to you, I must banish 
the part of my brain that cherishes reason, logic, and justice. Palestine, will you ever set us free? Called the godfather of Palestinian hip-hop, Tamar Nafar shares his poem, Put Your Arm Around Me. Tamar is a Palestinian rapper, actor, screenwriter, and social activist. Put your arm around me. Put your arm around me, let us take a photo. Photos last forever, but everything in them will change. So put your arm around me. Faces change. Intentions and hearts change. Seasons change. Landscapes and borders change. Just put your arm around me so that we can have more to remember, more to hope for, and more to regret. Put your arm around me. When I look at the photos of our ancestors during the Nakba, I ask myself, did they know that the flash of the camera will be the last flash they'll ever see before their exile? I look at the photos and it hits me. We are too beautiful to be exiled. We are too beautiful to turn into widowers and widows. We are too beautiful to be bereaved. We are too beautiful for death and more beautiful than heroism. We are more and more beautiful than the way we see ourselves. And our enemy will become more beautiful if they just apologize to us. If they bow to our feet, see the sands of exile and dust it off. So let us take a photo before everything changes. And until everything changes, put your arm around me. So let us take a photo before everything changes. And until everything changes, put your arm around me. إركي إيدك على كتفي خلينا نتصور الصور بتضل الأبد بس اللي فيها بتغير إركي إيدك أكتر وجوه تتغير نوايا وقلوب تتغير فصول تتغير تضاريس أرض وحدود تتغير إركي إيدك أكتر إركي إيدك تيكون لينا شو نتذكر شو نتأمل وعشو نتحصر إركي إيدك أكتر بشوف صور أهالينا وقت النكبة وبسأل هل كانوا عارفين إنه فلاش الكاميرا آخر ضوء حيشوفوه قبل المنفى وبفهم نحن أجمل من إنه يهجرونا نحن أجمل من إنه يرملونا نحن أجمل من إنه يثكلونا نحن أجمل من الفناء ونحن أجمل من البطولة ونحن أجمل وأجمل 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 من كيف ما نحن عم بتشوفنا والعدو حيكون أجمل لو يعتذرولنا العدو حيكون أجمل لو يعتذرولنا لو ينحنوا لأقدامنا يشوفوا رمال الهجرة ويتكوها فخلينا نتصور قبل ما كل شيء يتغير ولحد ما كل شيء يتغير اركي إيدك أكتر My name is Zena Azam My family is originally from Nazareth and my parents were living in Haifa at the start of the Nakba They fled in 1948 and were never able to go back to Palestine. They settled in Syria, then Lebanon, then we moved to the United States when I was 10 years old. I wrote this poem soon after my father died. It's titled, My Father is Now a Memory. My father is now a memory, dreamlike, clinging, fleeting, rooted. I will nurture it as he nurtured his plants, babies in a cradle, 
rocking gently. The roses in the garden mourn. He loved us. We loved him. The figs stand still, wishing for his tenderness. My father searched for Palestine in them. The memory of sweetness reawakened, nostalgia guiding him homeward. I can't remember him as a younger man anymore. He's an old man with clouds for hair, crevices in the earth of his face, a waterfall nose, crescent moon smile. He would sing snippets of a song, recite a line of poetry. Sometimes it would make sense. Sometimes it was out of place. He might laugh heartily, amused by a memory. He tried to teach my children to lick a drop of coffee from his little finger, as he had done with me on his lap decades ago. He clung to memories, found solace in reliving, replicating. Maybe he could find a home for the old and the new. My father yearned for the homeland he saw again only once in 50 years. We should never have left, he would say out of the blue, shaking his head. They shot your neighbor. It was wartime. The Der Yassin massacre had just come to light. No matter, we should have stayed. Maybe he would have been killed too. Maybe I would never have been born. A fig tree cut down, a fig imagined. Fifteen roses he bought the day before he died, planted only three. My mother gave the others away to friends one by one. They will yearn for him, be planted far from home, refugees in diaspora. He loved us. We loved him. This poem is written in the voices of our ancestors, as well as the new generations of Palestinians. Colors for the Diaspora. Blue-green, watery globe, tugging to a red core. We are a distant comet, white cloud of unburnished rocks, frisking the heavens for an arc to earth, sea, home. Green-brown Palestine, cactus fruit and wild thyme, olive orchards, cypress trees. We travel on your mountaintops, tethered by voices from suitcases and the yaw of blackened keys. Blue-black night, silver stars of ancestors traveling a displaced orbit around a lost sun, repeating. When will we see the colors of our land? When will we land? My name is Shireen Dibas. My family is from Zababde in the north of the West Bank. I will be reading an excerpt from Hassan Kenafani's Return to Haifa. Kenafani was a journalist, author, and Marxist revolutionary who was assassinated by Israel's Mossad in Beirut in 1972. He put his fingers on the bell and said to Sophia quietly, They changed the bell. He was silent a moment, then added, And the name? 
naturally. He forced a foolish smile onto his face and placed his hand over Sophia's. Her hand was cold and trembling. From behind the door they heard slow footsteps. An elderly person, no doubt, he said to himself. There was the muffled sound of a bolt creaking and the door opened, slowly. So this is she. He didn't know whether he said it out loud or to himself in the form of a deep sigh. He remained standing in the same place without knowing what he should do. He chided himself for not having prepared an opening sentence, in spite of the fact that he had known with certainty that this very moment would arrive. He stirred himself and looked towards Sophia for help. Um Khaled thereupon took a step forward and said, May we come in? The old woman didn't understand. She was short and rather plump and was dressed in a blue dress with white polka dots. As Said began to translate into English, the lines of her face came together, questioning. She stepped aside, allowing Said and Sophia to enter, then led them into the living room. Said followed her, Sophia at his side, with slow, hesitant steps. They began to pick out the things around them with a certain bewilderment. The entrance seemed smaller than he had imagined it and felt a little damp. He saw many things he had once considered, and for that matter still considered, to be intimate and personal. Things he believed were sacred and private property, which no one had the right to become familiar with, to touch or even to look at. A photograph of Jerusalem he remembered very clearly still hung where it had when he lived there. On the opposite wall, a small Syrian carpet also remained where it had always hung. He looked around, rediscovered the items, sometimes little by little and sometimes all at once, like someone recovering from a long period of unconsciousness. When they reached the living room, he saw two chairs from the set of five he used to own. The other three chairs were new and they seemed crude and out of harmony with the rest of the furnishings. In the center of the room was the same inlaid table, although its color had faded a bit. The glass vase on top of the table had been replaced by a wooden one, and in it was a bunch of peacock feathers. He knew there used to be seven of them. He tried to count them from where he was sitting, but he couldn't, so he got up and moved closer to the vase and counted them one by one. There were only five. When he turned to go back to his seat, he saw that the curtains were different. The one Sophia had made 20 years ago from sugar-colored yarn had been taken down and replaced by curtains with long blue threads running through them. Then his gaze fell on Sophia, and he saw that she seemed confused. She was examining the corners of the room as though counting up the things that were missing. The old woman was sitting in front of them on the arm of one of the chairs looking at them with a blank smile on her face. Finally, without changing her smile, she said, I have been expecting you for a long time. Her English was hesitant and marked by something like a German accent. She seemed to be pulling the words up out of a bottomless well as she pronounced them. Said leaned forward and asked her, Do you know who we are? She nodded several times, to emphasize her certainty. She thought for a moment, choosing her words, then said slowly, 
You are the owners of this house. I know that. How do you know? Saeed and Sophia both asked the question simultaneously. The old woman continued to smile. Then she said, From everything. From the photographs. From the way the two of you stood in front of the door. The truth is, ever since the war ended, many people have come here, looking at the houses and going into them. Every day I said that surely you would come. At once she seemed to become confused and began to look around at the things distributed throughout the room as though she were seeing them for the first time. Involuntarily, Saeed followed her glance, moving his eyes from place to place as she moved hers. Sophia did the same. He said to himself, How strange! Three pairs of eyes looking at one thing, but how differently each see it! The old woman spoke then, more quietly now, and even more slowly. I'm sorry, but that's what happened. I never thought things would be the way they are now. I am Ahmed Abu Artima, a Palestinian writer from Gaza. My family is originally from Ramla village in 1948 occupied Palestine. I am now a few meters away from the barbed wire fence separating the Gaza Strip from 1948 occupied Palestine. I am now at a point that allows me to see the features of the heavily armed soldiers hold up behind dirt mounds on alert, ready to shoot the youth who are gathered there. I did not intend to reach that point to join the youth in throwing stones. It was my love of beauty that got me there. The pre-sunset atmosphere, the shadows of the dense trees, and the calmness of being away from the crowded city infuses the eastern places with a magical charm that awakens in one's heart the love of nature and the desire to retreat and be one with it. It's not real. Only 20 meters separate us from our occupied lands. In the prison of the Gaza Strip, the opportunities to visit our occupied land are rare, so seeing the other side becomes an achievement that sparks the imagination. I watched at the birds as they moved between the trees on both sides of the fence without anyone stopping them. How easy it is then, birds decide to fly, so they fly. What if one of us, in a moment of imagined presence, saw himself as a bird? What if he overlooked these ominous wires and saw only that tree on the other side in front of him, and he decided to sit under its shade? What if the distant horizon told him, come to me, so he rushed forward, intending to reach it, and continued walking on a flat land 
that was united by geography since the beginning of time. What did that cursed Israeli bullet have to do with killing his dream and killing him as if he had committed a crime? Why do we complicate simple matters? Doesn't a person have the right to move like birds however he wishes? Where is the threat to security when a person decides to wander around nature? Dogs, foxes, and deer are more aware than these fools. They do not recognize these wires. They jump over them without any regard for the political complications. I have discovered the real reason for hating the occupation. I hate the occupation because it interferes with my evening walk. I hate it because it contradicts the law of nature. It prevents me from being a flying bird and it kills my dreams. My name is Raja Shahade, and I will be reading selections from my recently published book, We Could Have Been Friends, My Father and I, a Palestinian memoir. During my father's final year, I could see how busy he was putting his papers in order. I wondered whether he was preparing to write his memoirs, but it seems he didn't have any intention of doing so. All of those files remained in his house after his death. Everything was so carefully arranged. Reports of UN economic survey missions to Palestine, documents relating to UN Palestine Conciliation Commission, and notes and letters pertaining to his attendance at the Conciliation Conference in Lausanne in 1949. I felt burdened by it all and began to wonder whether the careful way he had arranged these files was not because he was planning to write about his life and career, but because he wanted to nudge me to write about him. Looking at the, everything that he left overwhelmed me. I decided to stay away from these cabinets. I had my life to live and cabinets full of my own papers. Even many years after his death, I was still not ready to delve into those documents for I viewed them as a source of years of hardship and trouble. Then one day a friend brought me a photocopy of the Palestine telephone directory for Jaffa Tel Aviv dated January, 1944. And there I found my father's office and my grandfather's name listed. His honor, Salim Shahade. Emotions overwhelmed me. All that history of their life in Jaffa has been denied, just as my father's history of political activism on behalf of Palestine has been erased. This was the catalyst that started me thinking about my father's legacy and work. I was slowly getting ready to open that cabinet and begin work. When my father left Jaffa in the spring of 1948, he could not have imagined that he would never be able to return. Exiled in Ramallah, he was determined to do all he could to secure his and the other refugees' return to their homes. For many years, he and many others continued to believe that this was possible. I lifted the file pertaining to the efforts at securing the return and opened it. It was one of the heftiest and spent a period of six years, six years of hard toil and unceasing attempts in all possible locations. 
My father left Jaffa that April, certain that in the worst case, even if other parts of Palestine were lost to the Jewish state, Jaffa would return to Arab hands. According to the UN partition plan, the city was in the Arab section where the proposed Arab state was to be established alongside the Jewish state. My parents believed that their sojourn would be temporary, that after the fighting was over, they would all be going home. But the days stretched into months and the news of the ongoing fighting wasn't encouraging. The Jewish state had been declared on 15 May, 1948, without its borders being specified. My optimistic father took that as an encouraging sign, leaving open the possibility of establishing the Arab state next to Israel as envisaged in the partition plan. It was midnight when the knocking began on the door of the upstairs flat of the summer house where my father and his family were taking refuge. He rushed to open it and found his friend, Dr. Bishara from Lidda, who was thoroughly exhausted, hardly able to stand. My father welcomed the doctor to his home and heard from him firsthand how the Israeli soldiers had told him to walk east, saying, go to Abdullah. He felt that this confirmed his worst suspicions about the collusion between Jordan and Israel, their intention to share between them the country that was Palestine and to prevent the refugees from returning to their former homes, making them settle permanently in an expanded Jordan instead. He now realized that there was no hope to be had from the Arab region. The Palestinians had only themselves and the intervention of the UN to depend on. Every available room in Ramallah had to be used to house the new arrivals from the two Palestinian cities. The last empty plots, whether on the hillsides or in the center of the city, filled with more tents. The character of the place changed. It had been a popular resort, much visited in the mild summer months by the rich from the coastal region of Palestine who were escaping the heat and humidity. But now, scenes of destitution were commonplace with the wretched homeless refugees barely having enough to eat. How could they go on? My father wondered, perhaps the refugees could manage to live rough during the summer months, but how would they be able to survive the harsh Ramallah winter? His own family was also unprepared. They had left the comfort of their newly furnished flat in Jaffa without taking their winter clothes, and they had no money to buy new ones. He now began to suspect that their exile might not end before the onset of bitter winter. On behalf of the Foundation for Middle East Peace and Project 48, we thank the remarkable Palestinian artists who contributed to this very special podcast commemorating 75 years of the Palestinian Nakba. And we thank you, the audience, for taking the time to listen and learn. To learn more about these artists and the Nakba, please visit our websites, www.fmep.org, and www.project48.com. Thank you.